Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. The intensity of the work, and also I would say the sacrifice that myself and the family have to go through to allow me to do what I do. I would say most people don't see the amount of sacrifice and work that goes into success. And I would say that not just for my job, but in general, people, I think, are, they they dismiss what people do to achieve what they have to do. We put up so many barriers to entry and most of, if not all of it, it's all in our head. Just do it. You know, feel the fear and just do it, do it, do it, do it. Okay. Before we jump into this interview, I want to invite you to be considered for my 2019 traveling mastermind. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com and fill out the application and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a great fit. This year we'll be in Boston doing lots of cool things like training with Tom Brady's trainer, Alex Guerrero. In the middle of the year, we'll be heading to Monaco doing things like vintage car rides through the French Riviera. And then we're going to wrap the year in Florence, Italy, doing things like truffle hunting and hot air ballooning over Florence. Look, Life is all about fulfillment, and I really try and walk the walk. So if you are looking to be part of our tribe of 28 high-achieving entrepreneurs that are in the six- and seven-figure range, fill out your application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com to be considered. So think of the mastermind as having two parts. The first is the trip itself. And the second part is what goes on over the four days within the mastermind. Our group of 28 entrepreneurs will help you brainstorm and accelerate what you want to achieve in 2019. And we'll do that through a variety of different exercises, brainstorming activities, breakout sessions, goal setting sessions, you know the drill. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a fit. All right, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everybody? I am on the road again. Sorry for the background noise, but I wanted to make sure I got this episode out to you. I did an interview with David Rocco. David Rocco has a travel series called La Dolce Vita, and I was blown away by his insights into travel and how it changes you. So I'm going to let this episode speak for itself and not go through a long bio because we talked a lot about his bio in the interview, but I really, really think you're going to love this episode. So give it a listen, check it out. David, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be on the show. You know what, man? I am so excited to do this interview with you today because I had the absolute pleasure of meeting your sister while spending a few months in Florence. And when she told me all about you, I was like, she's right. We're kindred spirits. She's like, you have to get him on your show. So thank you for making the time. Well, thank you. And finally, she's done something good. (laughs) (laughs) Usually she's, you know, throwing me under the bus or something, but uh, no, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks. 
<laughs> You're welcome. You know, you are extremely well known in the television cooking slash travel world. But for those who aren't familiar with your work, maybe we could start at the beginning in Canada. Your dad, uh, who I had the pleasure of also meeting, oh, wow. uh, is I met the whole family already. That's amazing. <laughs> is from Italy. So you spent one month per year traveling there, um, if I did my research correct. And the question really is, in what, in, in what ways do you think that that experience of going there, you know, monthly every year impacted you? Oh, wow. It was huge. So, I mean, growing up, we, we, we were in a very Anglo-Saxon, very white neighborhood. You know, there was the there was the Ramses, the Johnsons, the Smiths, the Gallagher's, and the Roccos. I mean, <laughs> you know, I felt like we were the poor immigrant family, and um, you know, it was kind of in the seventies and and kind of figuring things out. You know, that was when um, having spaghetti and meatballs was really exotic, and uh, so I always felt this disconnect with you know my environment and growing up in Canada and going. And also a little embarrassed. I really felt like the poor immigrant, you know, and we didn't fit in. I wanted to have school lunches that consisted of uh, peanut butter and jelly and maybe bologna and mustard. And my mom would give me focaccia and prosciutto and uh, parmigiano reggiano and brezzaola. And, you know, it was just, I wanted to be normal. So that when we went back to Italy and, and spent, you know, the summer or the month here and there, you know, annually, it gave me that connection to, you know, who we were and, uh, the pride and, and I've always loved food growing up. My earliest memories are eating and being in the kitchen. And so being in Italy, it was like, well, maybe it's okay to be different. Maybe, you know, this food that mom's packing, uh, in, in my lunch is, uh, is maybe okay. And so that, was really my foundation and my connection to uh, being Italian, Italian-Canadian. It's interesting. You know, I have my, uh, my mom's from Naples. So I have this vision of uh, going back to my, uh, my misspent youth in uh, school. And, you know, the guy had the peanut butter uh, jelly sandwich to my right, you know, and I had like, you know, a salami. Yeah, you know, no, I, I always smelled like garlic. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, some of my earliest memories is, you know, my best friend is Mark Johnson. Uh, to this day, we're still pals. And, you know, he kind of teased me sometimes that, yeah, he had a pet bunny and I, we had rabbits, but they ended up being on our dinner table. <laughs> so, you know, so we have memories That's of him funny. coming over for lunch. One of my, you know, what the first time his family came over and he's like, oh, my mom made, you know, uh, like, uh, like uh, chicken a la cacciatore, but she made it with rabbit. And he's like, oh, Mrs. Rocco, the, this chicken is fantastic. And she was like, no, no, it's not chicken. It's, it's, it's rabbit. And he starts crying. I start crying. It was like oh, a big mess. And I mean, this God. is uh, when we're seven. And that is not the first impression you want to kind of give your your best friend and his family that we ate bunny. But uh, that uh, it's it's so interesting how you know food is there. You know, as much as it can connect us, it can make us feel very different. Yeah, it's really really interesting. I've got, do you know who Phil Rosenthal is? 
is uh, he's the guy that uh, Phil eats here or something like that, right? Yeah, but do you know yes. his background? Do you know that he no. uh, he created Everybody Loves Raymonds? Oh, right. Okay, right. Yeah. Yeah, and before that, Frazier and I I interviewed him recently uh, for the show, and you know one of the things that he was talking about was he said, you know, look, when I can put people, he's, he's you know he's a comedy writer, so it's all about com- comedy for him, but he's like, when I can put people together at a table and give them great food, that usually handles it. But if we can, you know, if we can sit down together, have a laugh over great food and a glass of wine, we can bridge, you know, oh, all kinds of political differences. And I know sure. that you're that you're a fan. Yeah. So what were the steps that led you to expanding your time in Italy from one month to an entire year, I believe in the mid nineties? Well, you know, I was always in the arts and um, acting and, and kind of did did that thing. And um, when my wife and I, we got married, we, uh, we are continuing with acting. We want to be filmmakers. And we thought, mm, you know, this, this is, we're talking like almost pre-food network or the pre-food network here in Canada. Cause we came, uh, it came uh, a few years later and we thought film seems really daunting. Uh, just seems really, you know, like hard to do at this point. Why don't we just do a silly little cooking show? You know, this is in the uh, mid to mid nineties type thing uh, towards the latter part of the nineties. And we thought, yeah, we can do it. And uh, at the time I was um, very involved in the kitchen cooking. I always had parties and and so we had, you know, uh, even when we first got married, my wife and I would we, often venture to Italy and I worked there and spent a lot of time in Italy. And uh, this idea of a cooking show didn't seem so daunting. And uh, if we thought, yeah, we can easily do it. And the, I guess the criteria was if we're going to do a cooking show, we don't want to be in a studio. Why don't we do it on location in Italy? And um, we shot something. We had our wedding videographer, um, <laughs> as ridiculous as that might sound, edit something together. Mm-hmm. I think it was with Mambo Italiano, Rosemary Clooney's uh, song from Big Night. And we ended up selling it to uh, PBS. Uh, it was our first uh, travel cooking show in Italy, and it aired in 1999. And uh, from there, it was, you know, we just kind of went for it. And little did we know at the time, you know, the 13 little silly episodes we were doing are probably as hard as making a film, except it just seemed a lot easier at the time. And uh, and now we have absolutely no desire on doing a film and we'll just continue doing what we do. It's really interesting. And you were there for how long? For a year? Uh, we, we spent uh, on and off. Uh, we, um, we were living uh, in Rome for uh, about a year uh, in 2000 before we ventured into the uh, latter uh, uh, series called Dolce Vita. And uh, it was almost based on our, uh, our life in Rome and in Florence, which was, you know, the aperitivo after work, meeting for drinks and, you know, those little snacks that you get at the bar and the spontaneous little spaccatatas uh, midnight and just how food is part of everyone's psyche and uh, it is really um you know that thing that everyone loves to do in italy so let's go down that road just a little bit a lot of your shows at least you know early on uh were focused on italy and showcasing the uh the lifestyle there what is it particularly about the italian lifestyle that interested you uh at that level well, I, I, you know, Italy is blessed with incredible ingredients. Uh, just, you know, it is, 
I mean, the weather is amazing, the art, but at the end of the day, it's the food. I mean, you know, I've never heard anyone go and, and talks that, uh, you know, they didn't have a good meal or, 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 you know, they were not fans of the food. I mean, it just has so much to offer. And so for us, you know, when we were there, it was always about breakfast, talking what we're going to do for lunch. And lunch is uh, what we're going to have for <laughs> so dinner. True, so and true. dinner is what we had at lunch. And and I remember some of our earliest memories. In fact, my wife mentioned this about a week ago, uh, some friends of ours on the Amalfi Coast, and we're, on, um, we're in a, a little kind of Cinquecento, a little Fiat 500 going from Rovello in the middle of the Amalfi Coast to Positano. And and I, I think it was about a 45-minute car ride. And in that ride, it was all about food, whose mother made their eggplant parmigiana the best and why it's the best. And, you know, some people bread and uh, batter it, other people just flour. But everyone said, no, it has to be double fried so it gets crispy. And we're all saying, and yes, it can't be put in the oven. It has to be fried. It has to be heavy. It has to be, you know, where you know it is not the healthiest, but it's it's okay. If you want something healthy, you know, you eat a carrot. This is how it's done. And, and the whole ride was about this one dish and, and, and how food is just central to everyone in Italy. And it's part of the psyche of the country. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing that not everybody looks like Tony Soprano there. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah, well, yeah. how, how that, has that not happened? Is it well, just the not processed? Well, you, well, that that's exactly it. I mean, you know, you spent time in Florence and a simple, uh, you know, crostone or crostini with a little bit of uh, whether it's fagioli beans, uh, cannellini beans with a little bit of that great extra virgin olive oil drizzled over. And there's moderation. I mean, were you, when you were in Italy, did you go to a buffet all you can eat? No. No. I mean, it doesn't exist. All you can eat. Why would you want to eat all you can eat till you actually just explode? I mean, the, the, the whole quality comes first and, and there's, there's this respect for food and, and understanding that more doesn't, more of an ingredient doesn't make the dish better. Even though Parmigiano de Giano is great and a nice crate of it over, you know, a fresh plate of, uh, you know, uh, peachy uh, with uh, lamb or uh, uh, ragu di cinghiale of wild boar makes it fantastic. More of it does not. At a certain point, you know, you shouldn't be putting more. And I think in North America, we have, you know, this this thing where, you know, yes, we should put more and, and, and we should maybe eat more than we need to. And I think Italy, they, they have it right. You know, the quality of the ingredients, the respect of the ingredients, and, and also just uh, balance. How different is actually living there versus what one may think living there is actually like? Well, you know, I always say Italy's great, but it's probably better to go there for vacation with money in your pocket. You know, it, it's Italy's going through, you know, its uh, its own struggles for sure. Uh, a lot of uh, younger generation have trouble with work and finding work. But there is something so inspiring, you know, walking the streets and, uh you know, in Florence, for example, uh, you know, everything is like a, a museum. Rome, it's like an outdoor museum. And so you're constantly inspired. And even when things might be a little tough, and as they say, there's uh, una crisia, there's, uh, you know, a, an economic crisis or, you know, high unemployment. Everyone seems to have that joie de vivre, the dolce vita, that feeling of, um, going out and connecting with each other and being able to go to the piazza and just 
whether it's have that simple espresso, that, that chat for a few minutes uh, with the person that sells the newspaper, the newspaper stand, or, or just walking around. I think there is, um, you know, the quality of life is, is just incredible. Yeah, for sure. So you eventually went on to create a new company called uh, La Dolce Vita, which then became a huge global success. But after around 180 episodes, you decided, no, nah, this is not for me anymore. It's not giving me the satisfaction it once did. Why do you think that was? Well, it's, it's uh, so it wasn't that it wasn't giving me the satisfaction. We had gone to Italy so much when it came to work. Uh, I, so just just for the record, you can't go to Italy too much. I mean, Italy's yeah. amazing, but yeah. professionally speaking, as uh, as someone who um, loves people, loves food, and understands the power of food and how it can connect us, as you mentioned, it, it really is something that can you know bring people together. You can solve problems and really have a better understanding of each other. I started seeing that, you know, Italy was great, but I did the, I mean, we never did the cliche show of uh, O Solo Mio Spaghetti and Meatballs, but I had done shows on, you know, classic dishes, on culture, on the aperitivo and, and all sorts of the Italian, you know, Italian lifestyle and food. And for me, it was about how do I push myself, my crew into new territory, into something that we've never done before. And so for us, we started seeing the opportunity of going more global and going into these countries and becoming almost like an audience where I'm living it and learning with the audience and really getting connected with their culture through my Italian roots. So our first series that uh, we did outside Italy was called Dolce India. And we went and uh, we explored India and, um, you know, through the eyes of an Italian Canadian, because that's really what, what I know. And it was, it was amazing. And since then we've gone on to do many, many more shows in other countries and, and areas. Yeah, I mean, you've been everywhere. You've been East Africa, Ethiopia, Kenya, Tanzania, South Africa, just really all over the map. But I want to touch on India for a few more minutes. Everybody I know who goes to India, I've never been, uh, I travel a lot, and it's always scared me, which is probably one of the reasons why I should go, but it's always kind of freaked me out about what you know, what it's really like there. Because whenever I talk to people who've been to India, I hear two things. First thing is, oh my God, I loved it. I never want to leave and I want to, you know, join an ashram and, you know, be a, be a part of sure. it. And then the other one is get me the hell on the next plane. I got to get out of here. So what was it for you about India that was as attractive enough to want to do a show there? Well, yeah, you said that your mother or father is from Napoli. My mom. Your mom. Okay. So my parents are from Napoli and so... India makes Napoli, and everyone knows how crazy Napoli is, makes it look and feel like Germany. Really? <laughs> I mean, that's just how much crazier it is. And it, to me, it is, it is unbelievably a, you know, chaotic. It's just deliciously dysfunctional. It, it is just fantastic. And, and, and I, I think what was really interesting, because I am very Neapolitan and I understand and I go with the flow and, and I get things that 
you know, someone says no, or they'll be there in five minutes. Well, we're in India, probably be there in an hour. So just, you know, relax, settle in and, uh, and, you know, just go with the flow. And I think it really served me well. It served our crew well, because half my crew is Italian, that we were there as part of the journey. And, you know, um, uh, man plans, God laughs. Well, you know, producers plan and Indians laugh because nothing <laughs> happens that they say is going to happen. I mean, and so it is one of those things that you just have to go with it. But in all that is the wonderful opportunities and gifts that come up because nothing is planned and you just go with the flow. And so I think, you know, if one is open to it and whether you're shooting a show or going for your own self-discovery or just going to see another culture, you know, if you're open to it with an open mind and a heart, I mean, India is magical and, you know, expect the unexpected and just, you know, buckle up and, and enjoy the ride. You have effectively left room for the magic, let's say. You have no choice. When you go into these uh, um, countries and, you know, if you're a good producer, I think, uh, you know, you know that you can't plan, you know, uh, 7,000 miles away or whatever it is. You have to go with the flow and you have to be open to, you know, the the gifts of, of the gods and, um, and, and that is, I mean, you have an idea, but ultimately you want to be in the moment. You want to be open to whatever, you know, opportunities come your way. Because I think if you get stuck into a plan or an idea, you know, then, then you're really not, you know, um, capturing the authenticity of, uh, of the moment and of, you know, the situation. Do you have a fixer before you go that lines things up? Uh, before we go, no, because we, we never know what we're going to fix, <laughs> but yes, on location we do at, at, you know, we, we, we get someone upon arrival and we have very loose ideas, uh, of what's going to happen. And, uh, we ultimately leave things, uh, to, um, you know, to play out. You know what I think you'd find very interesting? 0.0 production company, Anthony Bourdain's company yep. did a final, like one or two episodes on the on the end of his last season where they talked about what he was like on location and and what he required to shoot the shows you would find it absolutely fascinating like you mm. would never do a second take yeah. um it was really really interesting and it sounds like a lot of how you approached it was very similar to uh to that yeah i i think we we um when you know um, we we started uh, f- our my career with Food Network, uh, so PBS, then we we shot with Food, or we we did shows for uh, Food Network here in Canada and Cooking Channel, and then when you know those networks became a little um, how do I say it uh, <laughs> uh, competition and a little more kind of. Uh, provincial in the thinking that, you know, it's kind of North America, American style, we ended up kind of going more global. And we, it allowed us to not worry about scripts because, you know, back in the day, they would want to see scripts and, and what are you going to say? And when we'd often like, I don't know, make something up. Like, you know, we'd, we'd be giving them these fake scripts that everyone felt comfortable about, about, but certainly we all knew that it was impossible to follow these scripts. And so, what happened when we ended up going and shooting with National Geographic, the opportunities of just 
being in the moment and not worrying about these these scripts and these fake situations allowed us just to be and and and, and go and you know sometimes you know you don't have to manufacture you know uh, conflict or 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 a point of interest just having a meal and watching people go by and and talking to a local is far more interesting than you know manufacturing a competition of who makes the better foe yeah you know, for your Dolce Vita uh, series, it seemed to me to be a lot less about success, notoriety, and money, and more about living a successful, happy life. What advice would you have for the guy or the girl that's, you know, in sort of having the opposite lifestyle of your life, which is, you know, they're home or they're at work and they're grinding away at work and they really feel unfulfilled? What advice would you have for them? That's that's uh, an interesting observation because I, I often will we'll talk to the team and, and and we often say we do things because first and foremost as a group we want to do that so we you know sometimes as production companies and and just you know for work you you have to uh, appeal or uh, or please your your customer base for sure. I think we ended up taking the model of where do we want to go? What messages, what do we want to put out there? And I think in, in part, you could apply that to, you know, your own life and, and finding purpose, you know, of why are you doing something? And, you know, the, you know, I, I often think of, you know, talking about the poor immigrant and what happened when my parents came over, you know, from Italy, you know, they didn't look at, you know, the glamorous job. They didn't look at, anything that was uh, really cool or sexy or they did this because everyone else is doing it and these were the trends. They wanted to put my brother and my sister through school, give us the best life they could. And I know my grandfather talked about it before he died is he woke up every morning and that was his purpose. That was his mission. And I think if we look at what do we, why do we wake up in the morning? What is our purpose? And, and we can define that we can go into whatever situation our, our day throws at us, or we can go into our day already understanding why we're doing what we do. And so whether you're working the assembly line, whether you are, you know, stamping a piece of paper, you know, a, a, a thousand times a day, your purpose may be because your daughter or son is, you know, you want to put them through music school or ballet, or, and that is why you do it. And just knowing that, I think, will change your whole mindset and really give you more of a fulfilling life. I love it. This show is is uh, it's called Work Hard, Play Hard because we want to talk about the things that people are doing in work and maybe get some tips, tricks, and strategies that they can sort of use as a filter or a lens through their own uh, life. And it's also about uh, play and it's also about fulfillment and you really exemplify fulfillment. So I want to talk to you a little bit about fulfillment because it's more of an art than it is tactical. Um, so the questions will probably seem really weird. So just roll with them if you could. Sure. Well, okay. So the first thing I want to ask you is you said that you would never try, I think, durian, if I said it right, ever again. What is it and why would you never try it again? Well, it's so funny because I just saw one of our first, uh, a rough cut of our, because we just finished uh, shooting in Southeast Asia. And uh, so, uh, and we, and in, in that rough cut show is where, where I eat durian. And uh, so durian, if for those listeners that have never had it, um, Gee, it is, 
it is a fruit that, you know, has the texture of kind of mashed garlic, has the smell of death. Uh, you know, it's either you love it or hate it. But apparently for the non-locals that now live in Southeast Asia or, or you know, wherever, uh, you know, the, it, it's uh, an acquired taste and it grows on you. So I have to say that, you know, my last 10 times being Southeast Asia, durian is, I'm kind of, I think, turning the corner. But it is, um, I mean, the scent, the smell is so strong that, um, I mean, uh, airlines have banned it. Oh um, you know, it, it, it in fact, uh, I've heard uh, that uh, planes have not taken off because they, they thought there was a gas leak. Um, <laughs> the first time I had it, it was like the gift, the, the gift that kept giving. It was like, A, I, it was presented to me at a restaurant. I thought someone had passed gas. I'm like, oh my God, what is this smell then? I mean, you know, you, you pee and it just smells like durian. I mean, it's just in your pores and you can't get rid of it. But for those that like it, and there's a whole part of the world that loves it, it is like the king of fruits. So, All right, I'm just yeah. going to take your advice on that one. Oh, no, dude, if you have not had it, you know, go to one of your uh, local Asian shops and, and, and try it just for, uh, just for the hell of it. I mean, it, it is a powerful powerful fruit. Oh, man, that's <laughs> Powerful <crazy>. smell that is. <laughs> Are there any positions or opinions in the last few years, or it could be even way back if you want, um, that you've changed substantially where you've shifted your position or completely changed your mind where you're like, I used to think this way. And as I'm getting older now, based on experience, I just don't see it that way anymore. Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, uh, nothing specific. I mean, I was blessed that when we were young, my dad always said, you know, traveling is the best education. We were always encouraged to travel abroad. And, you know, I, I don't think, I mean, you're just constantly growing. And, and it's interesting because, you know, I always say that when I travel, and I just got back from uh, Kuala Lumpur a few weeks back, you never come back the same. You're, you're, you've changed forever. And, and part of the reason why I went on from shooting over a hundred episodes in Italy and to go into other parts of the world because I had changed. I was also going to other parts and then returning to Italy. And although it was, I love Italy and it was great. I also felt that, you know, I was evolving and I was kind of looking at things differently. So I wouldn't say there was there's been any like one thing that, you know, I was against this and now I understand it or, you know, now I'm against this because I've seen, it's just this con continual growth of, of, of seeing people and, and, you know, how traveling opens your mind and opens your heart. There's more of a compassion. And I see it now with my kids. I mean, my kids have been to India, you know, Kashmir, they've been to um, East Africa. Uh, they were just in Cambodia, Vietnam, uh, Thailand, and they're 11 and more, my son's eight. And I see them looking at things differently. They, they, their teachers will often say, you know, they're they're really compassionate. They are the the defenders of injustice in their class. And and even though we may not teach them that, I mean, we encourage it certainly. I think they get it just from traveling and seeing that we're all in this together. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're all the same. What a so, beautiful gift to give them. If yeah. You, if you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? 
Ooh, gee, that's that's tough. There's so many amazing places. Uh, you know, I always say time's the enemy because, you know, with my job, I'm invited to so many great places, and it's just hard to tackle them or, or go to them. And and then part of the double-edged sword of traveling is you want to see parts of the world, and then I don't find myself back in Italy enough. So, mm-hmm. gee, I would probably. Um, uh, probably Japan. I've never been. That's one place I've never been to. And uh, it is uh, probably going to be something we're going to tackle in the next uh, year. And um, so my expectations are are really big. And, uh, you know, the food, I love Japanese food. And uh, I love just the the culture there, you know, the, 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 um, the, the uh, respect for tradition, for, for family and uh, in quality. Yeah, it's like Italian, but in a different way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it's so funny you say that because my favorite food is Japanese-Italian fusion. Oh. It's really funny. It's really funny. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, no, there's, there's a little bit of that. And when it's done, it, there's nothing like it. Huh. Yeah. If you can only, this is really going to be about impossible for you to answer, so feel free to skip it. If you can okay. only go to one restaurant before you die, where would your last meal be? Yeah, so you know we're we're lucky to do what we do, travel and eat, and 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 so sometimes you know it's not that I get cynical, but you know you have amazing meals, and and so you're constantly, um, not you almost are desensitized by sometimes the experience, and so just recently um, we were shooting in Napoli, and outside Napoli is this young woman um, Mariana Vitale, and her restaurant is Sud, and it's it's those questions. Questions journalists ask you, oh, you know, when you're on a desert island, your last meal, and mm-hmm. I'm always rolling my head and like, oh, I don't know. I can say though, this may have been <laughs> that experience. It was, it was almost, it was like having dialogue with God. I mean, she is, and, and it's interesting going back to the Japanese Italian fusion. So she had this one dish with the very thick, um, Spagatone with, uh, she put, um, and she made a, uh, a cherry tomato sauce. She added a little bit of wasabi, a little bit of, uh, like, can you imagine wasabi? No. Uh, just a touch. And then the, there was a seaweed, uh, crisp seaweed. And then there was sea urchin, Ricci di Mare. And it was this one of many dishes that she did so flawlessly and brilliantly. And um, so that probably would be one of the more spectacular meals I've had in, uh, in recent, um, recent time. I love it. Okay, we're going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. Answer as quickly or as slowly as you'd like. It's basically Jeez. a first thing <laughs> that comes to mind round. I hate these things. <laughs> what, what would your friends say is one of your superpowers? But I can get along with everyone. What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? Oh, my parents getting older or, or getting old. Mm. What keeps you up at night? Uh, my parents getting old. Mm-hmm. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? Oh, gee, that's a tough one. They're always asking me all sorts of questions. Of mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, gee. Can I skip? Yeah, you can, you can pass and think about it. <laughs> yeah, but that yeah. one, that, I'll, I'll give you a little time here. That's to think a about, tough but, one. But one of those things is like, you know, everybody comes over to you and, you know, says things like, well, what do you cook at home? Yeah. And, but, you know, you're really thinking, no, that's not the question they asked me. The question they asked me is, what's India really like? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what's. Well, I, you know, you know, so yeah, just something popped into my mind. You know, you, you have this 
I had this glamorous job. I travel. I, um, you know, I uh, go to places. I eat. I mean, you see all that and you see the final product. No one asks, how long were you up that day working? And, mm. you know, it, like, really, you were working 18-hour days? Is that possible? And And just the intensity of the work and also I would say the sacrifice that myself and the family have to go through to allow me to do what I do. Mm, that's and, and exactly I say what that, I wanted. Yeah. And, and, and I say that because, you know, my daughters, we joke about it, but for the first four, no, five years, I had missed their birthdays. They're twins. And uh, in fact, one day I was a day late and I flew in from India and I uh, bought them two cakes from India that I absolutely love. So I actually brought on the plane with me. And and so because uh, just timing didn't allow me to be back for their birthday. And um, and it was fun. And, and, and it's funny, you know, I always believe you never have guilt. I mean, it, it, was, it just wasn't meant to be. I wasn't able to. And we celebrate in other ways. But what uh, was interesting is uh, I had missed the birthday. I said, okay, guys, next year, I promise I'm going to take you to uh, uh, on a Disney cruise. So the joke was because I missed so many bur- birthdays, I'm taking on a Disney cruise. So now they say, Dad, you know, we think you need to miss a couple of our birthdays <laughs> because we're, we're kind of itching to go away somewhere really cool. So that is but, really uh, funny. You know yeah, what comes but to I mind? Would say, uh, yeah, but I would just, I'll leave this. I would say most people don't see the amount of sacrifice and work that goes into success. And I would say that not just for my job, but in general, people, I think are, they they dismiss what people do to achieve what they have to do. Yeah. You see the glory, but you don't know the whole story. Yeah. I love that. Okay. What's your guilty pleasure? Uh, A jar of Nutella and a spoon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what is in that shit? I have no idea, but you could put it on furniture and eat it. It's, oh my God. You put on a shoe and just, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. It's probably not good for you. And I know, but it is, it, that's why they call it a guilty pleasure, I guess. I guess so. Okay. Last question. We're going to switch things up. What one question would you like to ask me? Ooh. Um, how did you start doing this? Um, you know, I spent, uh, 25 years as a chiropractor in, uh, in, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And I just, if one more person said their neck or back hurt, I was going to shoot myself. I needed some other outlet. So about 10 years ago, just, uh, for fun, because I love travel in the way you do. Um, the last 10 years of my career, I decided that I wanted to shoot travel videos, but not not to make any money, just for fun. So we created this company, we called it Jet Set Life and we created guidebooks. And if you go on YouTube, you can see all 30 of the travel videos we shot all around the world. And I did that. Amazing. Yeah, I did that while I was a chiropractor just as an outlet. And uh, then I retired last year and I decided that I wanted, because over that 10 year period of time, people started asking me questions like they ask you about different trips. And uh, so I decided to put together a work hard, play hard mastermind experience. Um, and I did three last year. The first one was in Boston and we did, we do all kinds of fun stuff. Like we rented out uh, the batting cages at Fenway Park and I hired a guy who wrote a book, How to Think Like Da Vinci. And he taught us wine tasting in Boston. And then in Monaco, we Amazing. did vintage car rides through the French Riviera. And then the last one is where I met your sister in Florence. And we did, um, I hired a guy um, who does uh, truffle hunting with a dog and we did a, uh, a truffle hunting. Uh, we did a, a cooking class after that. And so it's, you know, it's become like the second act of my life. 
Amazing. Cool. Well, you know, it's about creating your own destiny and creating your own uh, your own life. It's, it's amazing to hear. Well, everything that I heard about you is true. You are absolutely awesome. I um, thoroughly enjoyed the interview. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or even, even an ask for the people that are listening? Oh, you know, it's, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you. I think, you know, if we can kind of give any advice and I'm not one to give a lot, but it's just, you know, just do it. We put up so many barriers to entry and most of, if not all of it, it's all in our head. Just do it, you know, feel the fear and just do it. And I most, every time I go out into the world to do a new series, I shit my pants that I'm going to fail. And I literally have no idea what I'm going into. And I can always say, I always come out okay. And the universe gives us everything we need. And uh, so just feel the fear and just do it. Dude, this has been awesome. Everybody's going to love this. Thank you again for doing it. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. We'll be right back. 